0: support black podcast who is the brown girl she's an introvert by nature who enjoys the adventures of engaging in extrovert activities she's sexiest in a vintage t-shirt old navy jeans and a pair of chucks she's complicated magical sarcastic kind of classy with every bit of dopeness that one wants in a fine lady She's Erica Butler, and she's the Brown Girl. Join her for cocktails and conversations on browngirlexperience.com. Take in the Brown Girl experience, and remember, support Black Podcast. What's up? Welcome to the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Triple of Black Tribble's fame. And as always, I'm joined by
1: my partner. Hey, what's up? This is Vincent Williams of It's All Soul.
0: Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are reviewing the third piece in the trilogy of comedy that was the 1970s team up of Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby. We are in 1977 for a piece of the action starring Mr. Poitier, Mr. Cosby, as well as Ms. Denise Nicholas and James Earl
1: Jones. A very young, robust looking James Earl Jones. He's real hurly burly. Isn't he? He is. uh, This is our second James Earl Jones film from the seventies, and you forget he's a big old hurly burly huck of huckabuck of a man. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, we'll get to it. Like Bill Cosby and Sydney Portier got to talking, like like real like a lot of loud talk towards him. And I was thinking as I was watching it, y'all need to take some of that bass out your voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make him unbutton that double breasted suit.
0: Yeah, but you know what? They had bass in their voice, and he was still unfazed. I know. Because
1: he's James Earl Jones. Because if I have to take this double-breasted suit jacket off,
0: no one's going to be happy. Before we get into that, um, we'd like to touch on all of the feedback and commentary that we get from everybody via email at mission at gmail.com, as well as on Instagram and on Twitter and in our Facebook group, Micho Mission. But before we get into any of that, You know, Vince and I, we are huge comic book heads. Yes. And I feel like the world of comic books and and not even the world of comic books, the world in general is just a, a little sadder today because of the passing of Stan Lee. At the age of 95 years old, he passed on Monday morning. Um, he had been in failing health um, on and off, some would say, for the the last year at least. Um, that notwithstanding, every time you saw the man, he as much, as much as he could, he was a, you know, pretty jangly, but a jangly bowl of mirth, and smiles, and joy, um, and merriment, because he lived his life making his Marvel, and making us Marvel as well as the, you know, one you know, some say one half, one third, who knows, all we know is he was a chief component in the creation of the Marvel Universe as we know it, and therefore very, very, very much an important part of the 20th century and the children growing up since the 60s. Um, and I know it was a big part of your
1: life as well, Vince. oh, oh yeah. I mean, you know, I think you're right when when you say it's not just the comic world that it, that is sad. I, I think it it's not hyperbole to say that Stan Lee was an American treasure Mm -hmm. and, and one of the giants of the 20th century. He really was. Yeah. When you think about what in many ways is modern mythology, like when, when you talk about these characters, every person on the street knows the basic story of a Mm Spider-Man, the basic story of an incredible Hulk. Yep. Like these are iconic figures that you know. As you said, the 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 alchemy between you know Stan Lee and his longtime partner Jack Kirby, as well as you, you know early architects like Steve Ditko, mm-hmm. it's 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 been the source of controversy over the years. Who contributed what? But I don't think anyone can deny that, as you said, he was a chief component, and frankly, he was the boss. True. Which, from my point of view, and, and talking about him being special to me, you know, anyone who, who has talked to me longer than an hour about comics and nerd culture and all of that know that, that I'm, I'm always very aware of our status as, frankly, black nerds. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as, as a black kid embracing this culture, there has oftentimes been tension on the fault lines of race. Mm-hmm. Just last week, those of you who don't listen to our our side podcast, Spock Adjacent, where we talk about Star Trek, I mentioned, you know, to me, I, I have three, well, I have two crimes that I will never forgive as a black fan. One of them we talked about last week with, um, well, I'll start with, with one we didn't talk about, Will Eisner, the legendary artist, visionary comic book architect had a character called Ebony White right. in his comic series The Spirit, mm-hmm. which was just one of the most hateful caricatures in comic history. And, you know, people talk about Will Eisner, and I would never take away anything from the man's skill and his vision and and the language that he had, the artistic language he added to comics but I will never forgive him for what he did with Ebony White, and the other person I will never forgive—we talked about last week—Mort Weisinger, in general, was fairly racist for his entire tenure at DC Comics. Under, he was an editor at DC, editor of DC Comics. He was in charge, much like Stan Lee was in charge at Marvel. And one of the fault, one of the, the the flashpoints that we talked about was a character who was supposed to premiere as an African-American character. And this was in a series depicted in the 30th century. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the controversy was that you had this black character in, in this integrated um, venue in the 30th century. So you had a black character in the future, and then you had a black character integrated, and Mort Weisinger famously didn't let it go on. Right, and you ask, well, what you know, what year was this? When was this? And it was July of 1966 when he said, you know, things were too turbulent, and we don't want to offend the southern distributors, and this, that, and the other. And when you went and picked up that comic with this character, there was another comic on the rack from July of 1966, mm-hmm. and that was Fantastic Four number 52, which introduced the Black Panther. <laughs> So while on one side, you had someone who was at best a coward and at worst a racist, Mm -hmm. on the other side, you have Stan Lee in 1966 saying that you can have a country filled with super intelligent, super smart, super visionary African people and the Black Panther. And, you know, one of the things that... I was thinking about you know as I said, Stanley was in charge, and when you look at his tenure as the editor in chief, which ends in I think seventy two, because mm-hmm. that's when he stepped away from the editing and became the publisher. Right. But you look at everything that comes out between sixty, you know, between when he began and seventy two, that would be of interest to to us. You've got the Falcon who comes out. You've got Robbie Robertson. Who's this longtime supporting cast member of of Spider-Man? Right. Who was introduced as a journalist, an, an an editor. He is he from the very beginning, he's depicted as the soul and the conscience of of the Daily Bugle. And in many ways, he is one of the father figures to Peter Parker. And when you go back and read those old comics. It's very clear that Robbie Robertson knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Right. So this is this great character. You have Bill Foster, who um who who debuts in The Avengers in, I believe, 1970 or so. And he is a black biochemist mm-hmm. who works with Hank Pym. They actually, he's actually the character that Lawrence Fishburne plays in the Ant-Man movie mm-hmm. that just came out. And all throughout Stan Lee just had this spirit of what we would call inclusion now. Right. Where he said there's a place for everybody in this thing that we call fandom, in this thing we call nerddom, in this thing. And we talk about it a lot in 2018 and 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 you know, we we talk about inclusion and and everybody should be here and and we have these whole conversations but Stan Lee was one of the first, if not the first, architect of this mm-hmm. who said, no, this is for everybody. Yeah. And as a kid reading these comics, I appreciated that. And as an adult who has very complicated feelings mm-hmm. about introducing comic books to my children because of all of the issues that we talk about, I appreciate that Stanley and the work that Stanley did, oversaw, was the architect of, I can show that to my children. Like I said, the first hundred issues of The Fantastic Four from the 60s, the first hundred issues of Spider Man, like these are classic books. Mm-hmm. I have no qualms whatsoever of handing them to anyone right because i don't have to be afraid of something in there that that you know is representative of the baser side of human nature from that moment so i appreciate stanley i was saying right before we came on like it's it actually hit me a little harder than i thought it was mm-hmm. you, you know but but it's it's it is it's it's a sad day you
0: know the more and more i read about the history of comic books you know you you know, you go down these rabbit holes, and you hear, like you kind of like alluded to some of the stories about, you know, the, the arguments that Stanley would have with Jack Kirby and with Steve Ditko. Those two, most famously, as they mm-hmm. are his most famous contributors, um, because they contributed on the really the the two creations that were the building block of the Marvel universe as we know it. Jack Kirby with the Fantastic Four, and Steve Ditko with Spider Man, uh, but the more so, so I I come upon those stories, and do they make me, you know, give me, you know, like a little bit of a um, uh, uh, pause sometimes when I think about Stanley? Sometimes, but then what I always come back to is that in the creation of the Fantastic Four, he was basically tasked by, you know, his superiors at that time to come up with a superhero team to compete with, at that time, the hot comic book on the racks, which was the Justice League. Right. Which was basically the Justice League, which was basically a reworking of the 1940s Justice Society, which was basically taking all of the big heroes of the day on the DC side and putting them in one book as a team. And it's not lost on me that Stan Lee's answer to this hodgepodge team of heroes coming together to fight some common enemy was to come up with a book that is essentially what would happen if a family got superpowers. Right. Which is the Fantastic Four. And then going further with that question and what if these what if these powers are in some cases a blessing, and in some cases a curse. And, you know, when you look at how it affects the the powers affect Reed Richards and Sue Storm, versus how they affect um, Johnny, the Human Torch, and, and mostly the thing, Ben Grimm. And I thought that in the early 60s, which is when this was created, to think about to 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 create a team that answers on, on surface the justice league now you've got a super team but has more legs
1: oh my goodness
0: than the justice league just because of just because of the little tweaks a, um that he gives to the characters so they they don't just seem like cookie cutter you know um I thought that that was really, really smart and shows intelligent writing, right. writing for the long term, as opposed to the Justice League and especially the Justice League at that time when basically they were all the same character, yes, just colored different,
1: right? You know what I mean? <laughs> but not that different.
0: No, not that. Different, but very true, very true. Outside of the Martian Manhunter, they right. weren't that different. Um, so I thought that was smart. And then he does the same thing with Spider-Man. You know, Spider-Man and Superman, probably even even now, well, probably Batman t- had surpassed them. But at the time, and for a long time, the two most popular superheroes of the 60s and the 70s were Superman and Spider-Man. Right. And yet, the one that everybody was uh, gravitating to was Spider-Man. Why? Because as powerful as Spider-Man was, as 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 you know, as amazing as he was climbing on walls and spinning his webs and all at uh, any size, catching thieves just like flies, it didn't matter. He still had uh, chump change in his pocket. Right. Had to hide from his Aunt May. Yeah. And then had the entire world coming down on his back. Yeah. Meanwhile, Superman had statues.
1: Yeah, being
0: erected in his name. Superman was the de facto leader of the Justice League. Yeah, you know what I mean. They always had to reboot Superman. They always had to maybe depower Superman to make him more relatable. You didn't have to do that with with um, Spider Man. Superman, you know, you didn't understand why Lois Lane couldn't see that this was Clark Kent. Right. Spider Man, he was juggling two women, one of them a very tragic figure, the other one who, who you know, likes him, but, you know, like, hey, really like Peter. You right. know, Spider-Man could take a leave Spider-Man, right. you know what I mean? It was just so much more nuance to it, and that was all Stan Lee. Yeah. You could make the argument, especially in the Spider-Man case, you know, when you read the stories about how much was Ditko there in those first, you know, 100 issues, but once Ditko leaves... And John Romita comes in, yeah. And John Romita, who for my money is a thousand times be- uh, um, better than Ditko as an artist, right? And changes Spider-Man substantially into the Spider-Man that we know now. He's not a writer; that writing is Stan Lee. Yeah, still yeah. still doing that. And mind you, we're just talking about Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. We're not touching on this. Is the man that would. Bring poetry and pathos to comic books in Thor and in the Silver Surfer. Yeah, you know what I mean. We're not we're not touching on what he what he does with the Hulk. The Hulk he essentially makes a a, a comic book that's about the bad guy. Yeah, you know the Hulk is the bad guy, the, and and yet he 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 makes it work. We're not talking about the true answer to the. To the uh, Justice League, which is the Avengers, and he makes that better.
1: I mean, look.
0: He brings back Captain America from the 40s. I'm
1: going to go ahead and pull you in, because we could sit here for three hours.
0: Uh, Yeah, we could.
1: And (laughs) talk about the contributions of Stan Lee to, again, American mythology. Yeah. Like, like, you know, we're talking about comics, but I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of people on this planet who know about Spider-Man have Not read a Spider Man comic book, that's true. So, so yeah, 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 you know, rest in peace, rest Stan Lee, Excelsior um, Forever,
0: yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'll say this, and, and, and then I'll leave it alone. I, I have though, you know, uh, always felt about Stan Lee, especially over these last few years, that. While he was still a very potent man, doing his thing. He, you know, he wasn't the greatest businessman, great writer, not greatest, business right. man. but businessman. But, but he was still very as, as vital as he could be these last few years. You know, you start, still saw him making the cameos in the Marvel movies and everything like that. I always felt. That when he lost his wife a few years ago, absolutely, uh, his wife Joan, I believe, yeah, who he was married to for 69 years, yes, he years,
1: was, yes, he
0: was. I always felt that once that happened, he was on borrowed time.
1: I mean, that happens, I, I'll say that happens. A I mean, lot. I saw that happen
0: with my grandfather, yeah, you know what I mean, that happens, yeah, you know. Um, so you know, I want him to rest in peace, but I have a funny feeling. He's resting. He's really... He's really right, right. Yeah, he's so. where he really wants to be. So, yeah.
1: God bless him. Yes. Okie okay, doke. Okie okay, doke.
0: Alright. So, we got an email, Vince. <laughs> Alright. From MC Picket Fence. Hey, what's up, MC Picket Fence? Just catching up on the last two episodes, Sugar Hill, and let's do it again. Alright. The Saturday before Halloween was the first time I actually ever saw Sugar Hill. It was late at night on the Bounce Network. Wow. Okay. I didn't even know the Bounce Network was still a thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I can't believe they played Sugar Hill, Deep cut. Let me tell you both. Let me tell you that you both described this movie to a T and reviewed it excellently. I could not agree with you more. Oh, thank you. Let's do it again. Um, another dotting of the I's and crossing of the T's. Splendid work, fellas. Oh, thank
1: you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh,
0: and 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 fortunately, I'm watching the lights. This episode will not have the same audio problems.
1: Hey, as, man, that's part as, of uh, the magic. Sometimes the unpredictability. <laughs> that's true.
0: Uh, he continues. I was thinking back about the Sweetback episode, and I know <laughs> it is credited for being the first black exploitation movie, but I'm not sure if that is accurate. Ah. I recently have been digging heavy in the crates of a Philly born musician LaRaje aka Edward Larry Gordon and he had a small role in what i believe is the first black exploitation movie Putney Swope starring Arnold Johnson the grandfather yeah. of modern society and it was directed by Robert Downey senior this might be another movie for the Michelle Mission but anyway thanks for keeping me entertained every week i love the podcast and the group yes now we have reviewed Putney Swope. We have, in fact, reviewed Putney Swope. I'm looking it up now, to, so that I can give you the the number there. Putney Swope was reviewed episode seven. Seven. Oh, I didn't think it was that long. I ago. was about to say, was it that early? Yeah that that early. Episode seven of the Show Mission, we reviewed. Putney Swope.
1: Well, there you go. So,
0: there you go, MC Picket Fence. So check that out. Yeah, you know, we were way ahead of you. <laughs> now, to his point about that being the first black exploitation movie. Yes, I don't know if I could call that.
1: the Yeah, I don't. And I mean, just just for a bunch of reasons, I, I think it's it's more of an art house film. That's the other thing. I think that would be yeah. giving it like not doing it justice. Right, right. And I think when we talk about the themes in black exploitation films. Putney Swope had more, had different concerns. Yeah. So. I
0: think I think calling Putney Swope black exploitation would be the same thing as calling Ganja Hess exploitation. Exactly. And I don't think
1: you can do right, that. Right, right, right. It's just much more going on. Yeah. Or, or something much different going on, I'll say. Exactly, yeah. But thank you, and let us know how you feel about what we thought about Putney Swope. Yeah, let us know. Uh, let's see. Christopher, good night. Hey, what's up, Chris? Oh! Before I forget, because he, he actually posted something, and I didn't answer. I answered it in my head. He, just circle back to comics real quick. Christopher, I got Outer Darkness, and you are right. That is real, real good. John Layman comic came out um, a couple of weeks ago. Afu Chan on art. It really itches. I think you'd like it. It really itches that sci-fi horror. Scratch. It scratches that itch.
0: I don't have a sci-fi horror itch. I thought you were an Event Horizon dude. I like the idea of Event Horizon. Okay. Sci-fi horror is not really my thing.
1: It's really good. I'm sure it is. All right. So, but go ahead. What What do you want to say about Chris? But Christopher, I saw it and I did have it and it was dope. Go ahead. Well,
0: yes, he pointed something else out. Okay. Because Christopher is a loquacious fellow. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Picked up on that. Not sure if I should laugh. Or cry, he says, at the pro-Trump election ad on, uh, that is, uh, before Let's Do It Again. We have a pro-Trump election ad? I don't know. However, I will say that our podcast, because of our, you know, dealing with yeah, God bless them, um, we... Do have ads, right, that right, get right? Placed into our show.
1: Well, there you go.
0: So apparently, apparently, that was one of the ads. And um, well, if that is one one of the ads, I will look into that because I have to. I have to be honest. If there's a pro Trump ad, as as much as we can control it, and be, believe me, we don't have the numbers yet where we can c- control a whole lot of right, it
1: Right, right, right. Doesn't seem like that goes with our brand. But yeah, that doesn't seem to go. Snaxel tells us it's like a malt liquor ad next week. Well, I
0: wouldn't mind a malt liquor
1: ad. <laughs> it's like Anaconda malt liquor makes you go woo <laughs> is, is, is that what it does? <laughs> uh
0: let's see. Um Oh, in regards to Stan Lee, um it's passing. Steve Tozen wanted to point out to me mm-hmm. that he is the six million dollar triple. Yes, but he is AKA Excelsior triple. That's fantastic. So he was feeling um, some type of way about his about his passing as well. Christopher Goodnight also asked another question: Is Training Day Denzel Washington's best film?
1: Yes, I would say no. Oh cuz I thought you were saying yes. No, 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 no. But, but I think it's a pretty good film. Oh, well, it is like, a very good. Well, film. I think there was I think there was a bit of a backlash at some point. Like it wasn't like he wasn't great in it. Mm-hmm. I think he is great in it. I don't think it's his best film.
0: Yeah, I think he's I think he's I think he is is very grateful. I don't think it's his best film. Um some people answered this. Rojo said um Malcolm X
1: yeah, that's that's probably what I'd pick.
0: Yvonne Freedom said it's just the one that he's recognized the most for. Right. Uh Don Keel likes uh Fallen, primarily because that was filmed here in Philadelphia right. and parts of it filmed on Don Keel Street.
1: Right, right, right. Not a bad film.
0: Uh let's see. Uh Cherie De Yeah, hey, Cotton. Said that he never has had a bad performance, but it wasn't his best. Okay. Greg Sims said. Arguably. It's it's definitely his most jarring. You never looked at him the same way again. Right. Um, and Algie Williams. That's my dad. Really? It is. Well, your father mm-hmm. suggested that Denzel Washington's best movie is Philadelphia.
1: I would actually... I was sitting here thinking, do I have four films that I think he's better than Training Day? And the two that had filled slots already were... Malcolm X. Malcolm X in Philadelphia. I think he's better in fences, too.
0: Hmm. Well, he is really good in fences. Yeah. He is really good. But
1: I think he's just that good in fences. Because I think he's great in Training Day. No, I do. Yeah. But I was thinking Training Day might be in my top five.
0: It's probably my top five. Like, I don't don't know what I would fit
1: in that fourth slot. And then I don't know if I have one, another one better than Training Day.
0: Well, I really... Like him in Book of Eli, I like
1: him in Book of Eli, but I think he's better in Training Day.
0: No, fair. Yeah, but I, I just, I really do like him in in Book of Eli. I love him. Um, oh, well, I can tell you my five. Okay, my five um, are in no order because I'll I'll put Training Day up there. Okay, Training Day, Glory. Mm. I want to say it's a soldier one. story, but and he's good in soldier story. It's, it's
1: really small. It's small, really small and that's more about role. the the yeah.
0: the union of everyone. So I say Train Day, Glory, um, Book of Eli,
1: Fences, and probably Philadelphia. Yeah, I love him in Philadelphia. I th- I, I love Philadelphia. Yeah, but I think he's. I think he carries it. It's film. such a subdued yeah. role, like like Tom Hanks obviously has the flashier... It's the showier
0: role. The showier yeah. role.
1: But he's so good in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, because... And, and don't get me wrong. This is no sl- no slouch on Tom Hanks. No, not at all. Not at all. But he is the showy role. But I think that that film... I think Denzel carries it because he has to play all of the emotions. It, it, exactly. You know? If
1: you actually get this really... Amazing character arc mm-hmm. with, his, with that character. Yeah. So
0: you know who also is good in that film? Who Antonio Banderas? Yes, he is. He's very good. Yes, in that he film. is. Very underrated. Very very
1: subtle. It's a great film, and great I feel like people movie. don't talk about it anymore. Well, I mean, it's it, it's got some age on it. I was about to say it's it, and and I think the depiction of AIDS is very error specific. Mm. Like yes. like like, it's yes. very much uh, an AIDS story. Of, of that, that Of time. that moment. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. angels in America mm-hmm. and to a certain extent, Rent. hmm So.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think
0: that might be a good call right there. Yeah. Alan Anthony made another, uh, made hey, a film up, suggestion Alan? to us. I, um, of, from
1: 1974, Together Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling them I've always heard of Together Brothers, but I've never actually seen it.
0: A group of ghetto kids try to find out who killed a popular police officer. I don't think this is the
1: first time this was suggested to us. No, it's, it's not. It's come up. Yeah. It's come up. Yeah,
0: so uh, th- that's a good one. Yeah. Um, he also asked whether or not we had reviewed Cooley High.
1: That will be coming up soon. I told him now's a big one. I Early said, in the
0: new year. Yeah, I that said, will...
1: really? You're not going to wait for an anniversary or a numbery number episode? Well, I see, I, see. I know that's your jam.
0: Yeah, I, I see us getting... Well, let's put it this way. Early in the new year, like I see us getting to that for like Black History Month. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Charlie Corpening... Hey, what's up, Charlie? ...shared from OK Player a first look at the highly yes, anticipated sir. Amazing Grace documentary. Yes, sir. Now, this is a... Um, the concert
1: film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The concert film, but it's a concert film like... um. Oh hell! I just forgot the name of the fu- the famous one. Is it the band played on? Yeah, like the Rolling Stone, right? So it's like that where I think it's a lot of behind the scenes footage and yeah, yes sir, been waiting for this jointy joint for years. So um, it's Aretha Franklin and it is a, a it is a documentary about the the recording of her famous gospel album amazing grace Mm -hmm. and it has been in litigation and red tape for at least a decade maybe longer than that famously it was supposed to come out i believe two years ago and aretha franklin herself sued to stop it because of some rights issues Mm. and you know i actually answered that like i have very conflicted feelings about it like, I don't think it's a coincidence that as soon as Aretha Franklin died, they swooped in and made some kind of deal with her family. I suspect a deal that Aretha Franklin may not have approved of. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, like oh, like, like kind of icky that way. But I've literally been waiting to see this thing for a decade.
0: Well, it's... Um- had his world premiere this past Monday Yeah, at the Doc NYC festival.
1: Yes it did.
0: Um and there will soon be an announcement for a broader theatrical release in the uh, months ahead.
1: Well I know they're gonna do a a short run and I from what I saw it may just be in New York and LA so that it is um, Oscar worthy. It's Oscar right it, it falls under the Oscar time limit. But but you know I'm 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 really looking forward to this. Yeah, that sounds pretty dope. I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, see ya. Aretha Franklin in her prime, man. The trailer. You know, we throw around these terms like she, like, like I think because you know, if you're a certain age, like we don't really like you know Aretha was, you know, damn near old when we were old enough to sort of figure out who she was. Mm-hmm. But like calling her the Queen of Soul, like to see the footage, like she really was regal. Mm -hmm. Like she really was the queen Mm -hmm. and just in the trailer, watching her walk from one side of the room to the other side of the room. It's like this, this is the queen. So yeah, I'm really excited about this. Also missionaries
0: uh, we put it out there on the Facebook um, group that Vince and I are banging around an idea for (laughs) for December where we will take a look at actors who are the gifts that keep giving. We thinking about um, doing a a, a, a a recurring special for the holidays, for the Christmas holidays, um, talking about those 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 specific character actors maybe yeah. sometimes they you know get a lead here or there that you know just seem to show up in all of these films you know like as vince likes to always call you know they're one
1: of these actors right
0: um so we put it out there to the missionaries for suggestions yes
1: of who would kick it off we got gotten
0: quite a few
1: I, I think we i think we got something to pick from
0: yes we do uh catrice she suggested... Hey, Catrice. Catrice. uh Greer suggested Clarence Williams third. Absolutely. He's a, he's a good one. I don't yeah. know if his
1: filmography is super long, I, I mean, Purple Rain justifies his inclusion. Okay. Purple Rain and Sugar Hill. No, the, the one with Wesley Snipes. See, it's like Sugar Hill, colon... Yeah, the one with Wesley Snipes. I think either one of those... I mean, we did Purple Rain, so I guess it'd have to be Sugar Hill. Bougie
0: Square Society um, suggested... The dude from Lincoln Heights and Fences. Yeah, yeah, Russell Hornsby. Russell Hornsby. Russell Hornsby, yes, sir. Who's doing stellar work on the theaters right now in The Hate You Give. Yeah, don't yeah. Don't check that out. Elijah Ratcliffe su- suggests Samuel Jackson. I can yeah. tell you right now, Elijah, it's not going to be Samuel Jackson.
1: Yeah, we see him a lot anyway. Yeah. This should be someone we don't see that often. Uh, Jay Webb suggested Don Cheadle. Yeah, Don Cheadle as a supporting actor and, and you know, Devil in a Blue Dress is shortlisted.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Catrice also su- suggested Jeffrey Wright and oh Giancarlo goodness. Esposito.
1: Both great choices.
0: Jeffrey Wright's a really good one. Yeah, both really great choice. choices. I like, I like that one. And
1: we could probably dig into crates with Jeffrey Wright.
0: Most definitely.
1: Find something we wouldn't necessarily do immediately.
0: Azor Risbrook gives a shout-out for Joe Morton. Another great one. Here's one who uh, John Calvin Chivers. Hey, John. Suggested CCH Pounder. Yeah. Now, I have just finished earlier, like like last week,
1: all seven seasons of Hill Street Blues. Oh Lord, thank you, Black <laughs> Jesus. You're finally finished. i with finally it. finished. Yes.
0: Was she on there? CCH Pounder was on Hill Street Blues. Grind you, she's extremely young. She's like she plays like this young young mother in there, but she's still killing it. Yeah. Like she's on the screen for like about maybe five minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. It's CCH Pounder. It's CCH Pounder. It's just killing it.
1: That's fantastic.
0: It's, you know what? You, you scoff all you
1: want. You know who I've seen on Hill Street Blues? Oh, I saw
0: CCH Pounder. Yes. I saw Lawrence Fishburne. Yes. I saw Samuel Jackson. Yes.
1: You know you're just going to list everybody because it was on for 37 damn years. It was only on for seven years. <gasps> I saw Mel Brooks. <laughs> Buster Crabbe was on this one episode. <laughs> Little Shirley Temple's
0: McCallitey Williamson had a recurring role in the last two seasons. Yes, he's actually and he actually has an arc. All right, it
1: was very good. I enjoyed it. Bill Bojangles Robinson played a detective.
0: No, (laughs) he did not. Um. Varanja Blake suggested Billy D. Williams. That's interesting. Because the D stands for December. Oh, that's nice.
1: (laughs) I was watching Brian's song. The other day, I actually had to turn from Ryan's song. Really? I turned like right when um damn, why'd I just forget his name? Jam- Jamie Kahn. James Khan, James Khan. Like James Khan started coughing. Yeah. Like James Khan said, uh, uh, I had these, I must have allergies. And he started coughing. I said, Yeah, we're not gonna do that this evening. <laughs> and I turned the channel. Cause I got pulled in. He had helped Billy Billy D. Williams recover from his injury, and they were jogging together and rooming together and, and hanging out with each other. And then that fine ass Judy Pace, I forgot that she played Billy D. Williams' wife. Mm-hmm. And I was watching, and then James Conn said, <coughs> is, is it Dusty to anybody else? And I said, Nope, and turned the <laughs> channel. <laughs> Ain't getting me all jacked up on Tuesday night watching Brian's song. <laughs> All around, I'm in here, ugly, crying by myself <laughs> in this beautiful tale of sport and cross racial friendship.
0: <laughs> um, I've heard it's a good movie. I, oh, you've never seen Brian's Song*? I realize I've never seen. Oh, it. you? Got- <laughs> I don't need this *Brian Song* will wreck you. I know who it's about. I mean, yeah. you know. but uh, I'm fine. Um, because it was allergy allergies. No, it was not. It wasn't allergies at all. It never is. No. It's never just
1: pollen. <laughs> it wasn't allergies at all. <coughs> is it is anyone else? Is this Is anyone else kind of sneezy? Is anyone else catching a cold? I said, damn, I got to turn from Brian's song.
0: <coughs> is director instructions to cut to the funeral.
1: Right, exactly. I have my
0: own suggestions.
1: What's your suggestion
0: for um, for who we can do? And then I'll have one as well. My suggestion is Wendell
1: Pierce. Oh, that's a good one. I would suggest who also shows up in Hill Street. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! I would suggest Bokeem Woodbine. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because mm-hmm. you know, you know why that's
0: a good one. Because I have gone
1: full circle. Bo Wuban. of course you have because he's so amazingly off-kilter. Yes. Like he actually changes the rhythm, yeah, of every movie he's in. Yeah. I love Bokeem Woban. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a really good. Mm-hmm. That's a really It's almost good. like I do this every week <laughs> and I think about movies.
0: <laughs> Bokeem and Wendell are both good ones. Yeah. However, I do believe
1: as a gift to the missionary, we will pick from their we list. Absolutely. Select from one so, of so stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right. We'll let you know. All
0: right. All right. Enough of that. Enough of that. Let's get into our review of A Piece of the Action. All right. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages.
1: Poitier and Bill Cosby together again. Now. To bring you a piece of the action. We gotta find him. And quick. It's zany. Because I cannot get up at 9 o'clock for the next five years. It's funny. It will kill me. It's wild. It's a raid. Five years there, 15 in Joliet. You're crazy. Think about it. You got five seconds. Four. Three, two, one. Deal. 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 What? The a celebrates while Cosby percolates. I'm rich. I'm suave. <laughs> I don't have a clean navel.
0: You're persistent yeah. and you talk fast. I hope the work goes as quickly.
1: Well, I work fast also. Yes, I've noticed. Yes. Lesson number one, you don't get something for nothing. I think they're trying to mug us. Looks like it. What the A and Cosby? Like you've never seen it before. Mama. Surprise, surprise. Hey. Oh, You'll want to laugh. You'll want to cry. Not since to Sir with love, have you cared so much? A piece, a piece, a piece of Cynthia the Sydney
0: Poitier. A a a a a a a
1: Bill Cosby.
0: Piece, Delicious main piece, attraction. A piece,
1: James Earl Jones. A piece of the action. A piece of the action. Of of the action. Of it's different. It's exciting. It's special. It'll tickle your
0: funny and bone and touch fire. your heart. A piece of the action. action a 1977 American crime comedy film directed by and starring Sidney Poitier and co-starring Billy Cosby. This, the third film pairing of Poitier and Cosby following Uptown Saturday Night from 1974 and 1975's Let's Do It, it Do It Again. It, this film, considered a trilogy, even though the actors play different characters with different names in each film, is the last acting role for Sidney Poitier for more than a decade as he would go on to focus his attentions on directing only. The plot features uh, Cosby and Poitier as two high class thieves who have never been caught However, a retired detective played by James Earl Jones has found enough evidence on both of them to put them behind bars. Instead, he offers to maintain his silence if the crooks will go straight and do work at a youth center for delinquents. First, the crooks are reluctant and unwilling, but as time goes by, they gain the trust and admiration of the kids and they start to enjoy the job. All goes well until a past heist comes back to haunt them and they have to make up for it. Or else, this film also stars Hope Clark, one of those actors, or from the 70s and 80s. Tracy Reed, a very uh, uh Jeanette Dubois of the Good Times fame, a very young Shirley Lee Ralph, Ernest Lee Thomas, and Eric Lanavelle, and the truly and ever effervescent Denise. Nicholas, a piece of the action directed by Sydney Poitier from a screenplay by Charles Blackwell and a story by Timothy March is Vince's selection for this stop on the Me Show mission. What say you, Vince, of a piece of the action?
1: Well, the first thing that went into this was was really trying to be fair to this film. I think. I think if if you listened to us last week and and you've sort of paid attention. <clears throat> I don't think it's a spoiler to this episode to say that of the three films, a piece of the action is the weakest of the three. Mm -hmm. And what I was concerned about, you know, before I started to watch it again, I didn't want this to be a a Tribe Called Quest beats Rhymes in Life situation. Okay. Where Beats Rhymes in Life is Tribe Called Quest's fourth album. Mm -hmm. But it's the album after they've had three – legitimately classic albums mm-hmm. so that when Beats, Roms, and Life came out, it got really sort of soft reviews and I remember being underwhelmed with it and it was only a decade after it came out that I went back and sort of revisited it and it was like, you know, this isn't bad. Like, it's still not as good as the first three, but this is a solid album. Right. So I thought going in, you, you know, I, I really tried to divorce this from the first two films, which is amazingly difficult for a few reasons we'll talk about. I think the other thing that that you have to sort of acknowledge when, when we talk about a piece of the action is that 1977 is this real transitional year for a lot of reasons. I, I think 1977, Cool Herc has been throwing parties in the... um in his apartment's rec room, mm-hmm. his apartment building's rec room for three or four years at this point. Grandmaster Flash has formed the Furious Five, mm-hmm. and the Furious Five actually are selling out shows by 77. 78 is when they get their legendary spot at Disco Fever, which is the first time that a hip-hop group gets a standing gig. Mm-hmm. Grandmaster Flash, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Africa Bambata has also started throwing parties so that hip hop is alive in 77 for young people, for people in the know, certainly people in New York. I suspect here in Philadelphia, there is a knowledge of hip hop. So there's this real black youth movement happening that regardless of whether or not Portier and company knew about it, and I suspect they didn't, there was something going on with black culture different than what is represented in this film. Mm-hmm. The other thing that happens, and and we always have to talk about this when we talk about you, you know this this sort of so called black exploitation movement. Seventy seven Star Wars comes out. Yep, and that's the end. Like like you know you and I have talked about this before about what is and is not the last black exploitation film. But regardless of what gets the notoriety of being the last exploitation film, 77, it's it's a done deal after Star Wars. So this is a film that in a lot of ways you have to separate from the first two because it's a whole different dynamic. The other thing that I thought about was something that came out of a conversation you and I had either after last week or the week before when we said we were doing a piece of the action. I mean, we were doing um let's do it again, and you and I were talking about the films in general. And and again, I don't think I'm I'm spoiling anything you're gonna to say to say that I believe this is your late least favorite of the three, too. And at one point we were saying, like you said, you know, it it's not even that funny. And I said, It's you're right, it's not, it's almost like they weren't making a comedy. And when you look at this film, it's not a comedy. The vast majority of this film. Is not jokes. The largest part of this film is this over overarching arc about this crime deal. It's, it's almost like this, this 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 catch me if you can situation where they're trying to figure out who's blackmailing them. At the same time, this mafioso is trying to get to Sidney Portier's character. And none of it is played for laughs. Mm-hmm. It's all very straightforward and serious. A large part of this film is basically almost a romantic film where, where Bill Cosby's character is wooing Denise Nicholas's character. And none of that, you know, it's Bill Cosby and we'll talk about Bill Cosby in this film, but this is not Mongo Slade, right? You know, this is not the Bill Cosby of Uptown Saturday night. This is, you know, comedic leading man, but with the emphasis, frankly, more on leading man than comedic. And then you have this reinterpretation of of, of To Serve With Love, where you have Sidney Poitier in the classroom with these kids. Mm-hmm. And the kids are kind of played for laughs here and there, and they're the funny bit. But it's a different film than the other two films. And that's a choice that they've made. We can talk about whether or not that was a good choice. But even with... All of that that I just said, I think that there are a lot of aspects to this film that make it spotty at best and arguably not a good film. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, it has this different screenwriter. Like, you know, As you said, this, um, this was written by Charles Blackwell. Right. Based on a story by Timothy March and Timothy March also made the story to let's do it again. But the difference between let's do it again and this is the is the 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 writing of um, John Wesley, I believe. I thought I had it up. I have it up. I have it up. I'm sorry. Richard Wesley, who writes the screenplay. And if you remember, Richard Wesley also on, on Let's Do It Again. On Let's Do It Again, he also wrote the screenplay to Uptown Saturday Night. And if you remember, one of the things that I admired was that he very deliberately had these lead characters playing ordinary men, mm-hmm. you know, and let in Uptown Saturday Night. Bill Cosby's character is a taxi driver. Sidney Portier's character is a factory worker, like he's a smelter or something, you know, melding, you know molding stuff like he's got like on a mask on. Let's do it again. Sidney Portier is a milkman. Bill Cosby is a factory worker. And this is very much a part of their character and a part of their arc, that these are ordinary men caught in these extraordinary circumstances. Right. So from the beginning, you have this wonderful underdog dynamic. Piece of the action, they're both these larger than life super burglars and con men and you know they're dressed to the nines mm-hmm. and Sydney Portier has this beautiful apartment and and they both have This aura of of being just, you know, the the type of supermen or these sort of super black characters that a film like Uptown Saturday Night critiques. Yes. And I think that creates this distance between us as the audience and these characters. Mm -hmm. Speaking of distance, The first two films, Uptown Saturday Night, Let's Do It Again, lovingly creates the black community. The film takes place in the black community. There are different aspects of the black community. Again, both of these men are working class in these films, but they show all of these different sides and colors and pieces of the black community, and you don't get that in a piece of the action no. where both of these men are completely divorced from the culture whatsoever. And when they do come in contact with the culture represented by these kids, I have to—it it left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, because the the kids in this film are treated as savage. And bestial, and and you know, there's this ongoing thing where where Bill Cosby's character calls them gorillas, and 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 they need to be tamed, and and there's this real paternalistic and haughtiness that this film puts across from these two characters towards this depiction of the community. Mm-hmm. That again left me cold, and then you know, we, you know, we'll talk. We can talk much more about Bill Cosby. Also confused, like the sheer hypocrisy of it. Like there's this whole theme where 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 Sidney Poitier again is is doing a riff on "To Sir with Love," and he's trying to teach these kids about self reliance and working hard and deferred gratification and 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 you know, knowing how to navigate the workplace. And I'm like, Negro, you're a thief. Exactly. Like you're actually a thief. Mm-hmm. And that hypocrisy is more telling than not. As time went on, when you talk about you, you know, it's not Bill Cosby telling them, but this is very much this sentiment of you know, pull up your pants, mm-hmm. pull up your pants, and talk right, and then maybe you can get a job. Yeah, and there's that part of it. The women in this film, you know, Sydney Portier has a love interest played by um tracy wait i had to i went to let's do it tracy reed tracy reed god bless tracy reed maybe tracy reed has some type of talent whatsoever but this certainly is not a showcase for her. she does absolutely nothing in this film but serve as a as it's barely a plot point about her family coming to say that that they should be married mm-hmm. and I'm saying barely a plot because her family is is in two scenes yeah and then the whole thing is dropped and then she's kidnapped she's just sort of pretty like she's sort of randomly pretty, like like I, I have my nose. She looks like she could have been the jet beauty of the week. Well, she's nineteen seventy five. She's the trophy
0: girl because if you figure, and I don't know how old he is at this time, but Sidney, he's fifty.
1: He looks like he's at least in his forties. No, 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 no. It's seventy seven. He was born in twenty seven because I looked it up.
0: Okay, he's so twenty he's, years older than so her. He's, so he's twenty years older than her, her at the at this time. You have to imagine that in the movie, it, he's probably playing playing at least 10 years older than her right and he because there's a line in the movie about her turning 29 right so she basically is and because you know that he is this this super criminal this super mastermind of 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 a uh, con artist you know you feel like she is you know the, the trophy,
1: right. This is th- th- this is what it's about, right. Which again speaks to the distance. Mm-hmm. And then finally, it is absolutely cinematic malpractice what they do and how they underutilize Denise Nicholas in this film. True, she, they, they completely remove her from the action. She is, is relegated to the love interest. She is not allowed to be herself. And it is, it is even more grating because there are moments, no more than two minutes at a time, where you see her peek through and shine and you go, why don't they let Denise Nicholas and be Denise Nicholas, especially coming off of, let's do it again. Mm -hmm. Where you can't say everybody involved in this doesn't understand what they have with Denise Nicholas. Mm -hmm. But they decide she's very pretty, which she is, but for the most part, that's all we need her for.
0: Also, especially considering what they do to Hope Clark's character as Miss Thomas, Mm -hmm. the teacher in that class, who they just totally take a dump on in this movie. Yeah. Like, one by just having her, never mind not having any agency, but she she doesn't have any type of, like, like self-regard for herself at all. Um, And they allow, you know... These kids, and especially one particular, Cheryl Cheryl Lee Ralph's character, to just totally berate her and blast her in this really awkward scene that they don't give the character any type of answer for this belligerence that's coming from this kid, which... Doesn't make any sense based on how they played her at the very beginning of the movie, where she showed a little bit of a backbone. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, but it doesn't make any sense that she absolutely doesn't have any backbone to this kid. But then, but then that's that's their choice, and it's it's a poor choice. But then when you cut to she she leaves crying, um, Sydney Portier goes after her. They have a conversation, and then she just and and in their conversation she just um uh uh, uh withdraws even more mm. before before Sydney Portier and basically is calling on Sydney Portier to you know save me, mm-hmm. help me save these kids, you know. And I mean, I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious? And you know you know Denise Nicholas is Denise Denise Nicholas Hope Clark if you if you were watching movies and television in the 60s and the 70s into the 80s she is one of these actors that would show up and just be a rock steady force of 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 power every time you saw her on on the screen mm-hmm. regardless of what, what her role called for you know so what she does she acts as well as she can, but they totally take a dump on her character. Yeah. Even more, to me, it, uh, the crime committed against her is even more egregious than the one they do, they than the one they commit to de, to Denise Nicholas. Because Denise Nicholas is, you know, they don't really do much with her character, but at the end of the day, she's in the whole film. Right, you know what I mean. Her, you know, Bill Cosby's basically every scene that Bill Cosby is in is with Denise Nicholas. Yeah. So she basically is acting opposite of with him. She's not given any true agency. At the one moment when you you figure, you know, she catches wind of a what's going on, that basically is a scene that happens off screen. Uh, yes. So we're totally robbed. Yes. Of of her, you know, like, you know, uh learning this and presumably getting at yes. Bill Cosby about yes. this no all of a sudden she basically is just an accomplice in this thing. Yeah. And even as the accomplice, all she's doing is just sitting around. Yeah. And, and and after that point, she
1: basically just sits around until the end of the movie. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And 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 maybe the worst decision they make as a film that is the third film in this series that the foundation of this series is the relationship between Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby, they separate them for most of the film. Yes. They don't meet until almost a half hour into the film. Mm -hmm. And then they almost immediately break them up again into these two miniature films. Yep. I just... I just don't understand the choices.
0: No. Makes that they no made sense. in this film. It makes absolute even if you don't want to play them as the same type of characters that they played in the first two films, which I can understand that instinct because while they had different names and um technically different characters in the two films, mm-hmm. they basically are the same characters. Right. In yeah, the yeah. First yeah. Two absolutely. Films. So if you maybe want to You know, quote unquote, stretch it for this third film. You know, maybe you're seeing like those, the first two films were a year apart. This one is a couple of years later. So, you know, do we return to that well or do we try to do something a little bit different? Okay, I I see you going there. But the whole vibe is their chemistry, how they work off one another, how they bounce off one another. And when they finally do meet, Come together in this hotel room that James Earl Jones has called them to. You're expecting, okay, now this movie is about to click. <laughs> it, 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 now, okay, here we go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's keep it moving. Then they separate them. You're like, what the? <laughs> okay. All right, so they got this to serve with love thing, and Bill Cosby all of a sudden wants to let everybody know, like, hey, I can do Sydney Portier, so he oh. he basically gets gets his thing on. Okay, all right, Bill Cosby thinks he's, he's Billy D Williams, and 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 Sydney Portier wants to go for, out for another Oscar. That's fine, but then they get back together in the alley, to pull this... Uh, to pull another caper. <laughs> alright, now alright, boom, here we go. Let's go, let's go. No. All of a sudden, Bill Cosby wants to be Jim Brown <laughs> and, El- and Sydney Poitier wants to be Fred Williamson. <laughs> and then cut, and they're separate again. I'm like, oh, what the hell is uh, going on in this movie? I'm like, dude, this is like, this is, this makes absolutely it's, oh my no God. sense. And... And not only that, it's not, you're right, it, it tries not to be a... It tries to be, because it doesn't know what it wants to be. It doesn't know if it wants to be a sir with love. It doesn't know if it wants to be the sting. It doesn't know if it wants to be... Um, a, um, mahogany. It doesn't know what the hell it wants to be. Right. You know what I mean. The, the whole time I'm watching this though, because I'm so bored with what they're doing, and you can tell Bill Cosby's even bored because they they give him a perfect setup where he's in the scene with all the board members, and you feel like, all right, well at least he's going to riff. He's, he, does, he, he doesn't does, even he do doesn't. that. He sure doesn't. He doesn't even do that. So the, the rest of the time, I'm just... Can y'all bring James Earl Jones back? Right, right. Uh, let him come back. At least he's at least he's interesting to look at.
1: It, uh, at least he's alive.
0: At least he's alive in this movie. Yeah. He's doing something. You know what I mean? I'm like... It's, it's like... The movie is like dead man walking. And the whole... To serve with love scenes... They make... Like you said... It's, it's it's hypocritical because he was a, a super criminal. Yes. So now all of a sudden he's going to tell y'all, you know, like, you know, like, roll up your sleeves and, like, let, let's get to work. You know, right. Because this is how it's done. It's hypocritical. But also, they're supposed to be teaching these kids who are not teenagers.
1: No, 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 no. And these
0: kids are out of school. They're supposed to be teaching about how to get a job. Yes. Right? What you have to do to, to get a job. But are they teaching them any skills? Skills that they may need to get no. a job. No, it's all about you. Just have to be nice at the interview. Mm-hmm. Are you? Are you? acting serious? I mean, yes. There's one poignant scene when the one kid goes up for to, to for the faux interview. Yeah, and he tells relates this story about his mom and his and his is is. His brother, who's little, a little Timmy, little Timmy, little you know, Timmy, yeah, t- little little Timmy, who you know, who's like please, sir, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm like, is this Oliver? Is this the screws? What oh, am I watching? Oh my god! But the kid gives a, gives that little story, and he's, he's shedding a tear, and everybody's choking up because of his story. But you know what? The whole time I'm listening to that, I'm waiting for Sydney Poitier to say, "Okay, that's a great story. That's not going to get you
1: a job. That's not going to get you a job." Well. Again, I really do think that this is the be- this is documentary evidence of that transition that you had with a lot of black people in the eighties, particularly the early to mid eighties where it really was the beginning of this sentiment of if you young people because remember this is this is that civil rights Generation and now they're moving into sort of their thirties mm-hmm. and early forties, mm-hmm. and this is the beginning of becoming if, their parents, right? If you people would pull up your pants and be polite and cut your hair, mm-hmm. then you could achieve things. So, what you view as the lack of 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 practical advice on how to, you know, actually do a job. In their view, this is more important. Right. They're learning how to actually, like you need to smile a little, don't be so angry all the time, cut your hair, pull your pants up, like this whole sentiment. And I think this is how it happens. Like like you said, um, this is two years after let's do it again. But I think that two year period, you get this shift. Mm -hmm. Because to circle back to the hip-hop, part of the reason that hip-hop started to percolate is because everybody who could move had moved. So you had all of these poor black people, young poor black people, left to their own devices. Mm -hmm. And this is, I mean, you get our, our, our beautiful art form. But you also have Bill Cosby and Sydney Portier on the other side saying, "Pull up your pants." Exactly. Now there are a couple of things that I did like. I, I will say, like you said, Bill Cosby was pulling his Billy D. Williams, like you wanted to be seen. I think that, even though I, I again, I think Denise Nicholas should have had much more to do. I think they still have great chemistry. Oh, they have great. They chemistry. have great chemistry, and Bill Cosby. Is a good actor. And Bill Cosby is actually like, this is a man with an almost endless well of, of gifts. Like Bill Cosby is a great comedian. Bill Cosby is a great storyteller. I think Bill Cosby is a great physical comic. Mm-hmm. But I also think he is effortlessly charming. Yes. Like, and you can tell that Denise Nicholas is actually Charmed by him, yeah. Like I think there's a parallel universe because what she really reminded me of in a lot of these scenes was Felicia Rashad in the Cosby Show. Okay, where you could tell Felicia Rashad actually found him charming, Mm -hmm. and I would not have minded this film, like two hours of him courting her. You don't need Sidney Poitier. You don't. You don't need any of it. No, you don't need any of that. Figure it out. Bill Cosby is courting Denise. It's like top five, the 1977 version. Mm-hmm. Have the two of them walk through New York, bounce off each other, do this, that, and the other. I also could buy into a Bill Cosby Sidney Poitier more straightforward than not caper movie. Yeah. So could I like have the both of them be burglars. Let's do this or spies or something. And then go for it. I was uncomfortable with the roles that they played. I think Shirley Ralph, you could see like you could see. Okay. Yeah. That one right there has talent. Mm -hmm. I like Shirley Ralph. I actually really like Ernest Thomas. Yeah. He's had an interesting career. He has, but and I liked him in this. There are a couple other people. Uh, Tamu mm-hmm. Blackwell is in here, who we last talked about in Claudine. She actually plays the um, older daughter in Claudine. You mentioned um, Roger Lanavelle. Eric, Lanavelle. I'm sorry, Eric Lanavelle, who we you know you would see all throughout the 70s and 80s. You know, in a lot of ways, it was like the entire like like they were casting an episode. Of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like we were watching, I was watching with my daughter, and she actually said, When is rerun coming in? You know, there's the one girl that looks like rerun. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I didn't like the roles that the kids had, but I have to say that I like the kids. Well, I like yeah. the actors. Yeah. But that's where this
0: film there's three films going on here. There's yeah. there's Bill Cosby and Denise Nicholas. There's the caper film that's at the beginning and smashed yeah. real, real hard,
1: yeah. into the last twenty minutes. Like let's even. wrap this thing up somehow. Like
0: oh my god, you know how long this film has been going <laughs> right. because they totally dropped oh, yeah. to Sir with Love. Yeah, you know that never that really doesn't finish. No, you know they go out. They they, 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 t- they do. You know they had the the common courtesy lessons lessons on the street. Yeah. And then you really don't come back to it to the end of the movie.
1: No, you don't.
0: You know what I mean? And then there actually is a whole nother movie, which you said is, you know, Sidney Poitier uh, and, and, and his trophy wife. Yes. You know, so there's four movies that don't have any place to go. And the only one that is even modestly interesting is Bill Cosby and, and Denise Nicholas. Yes. Yeah. Everything else you don't even really care about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And. You know I think um you know as 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 we all kind of come to terms with Bill Cosby's new legacy <laughs> or new aspects to his legacy, I have to say in full disclosure, I'm in angry like i'm at I'm in the angry phase, mm, mm-hmm. and I've been in the angry phase for like two months now, and this is a film that watching his performance after watching last week's performance. It made me angry because I think this is the moment when he's starting to transition into the Bill Cosby America's Dad mode. Mm. You you know this is seventy seven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know more about the comedy albums than I do, but but I kind of looked up Bill Cosby himself, which you, you know is the template. For the Cosby show, you, you know, Bill Cosby himself it comes out in 81. I was about to say, I couldn't think it was 80 or 81. Four years after this, Bill Cosby himself comes on. And that is the album that if you look at the track listings, track listing, I think it's seven out of eight or eight out of nine, however, however many, you know, bits on it that they break up are about his family. Yep. Yep. The album before that, which is the album that comes out in '78, which is Bill, his best friend. Mm-hmm. There's one bit at the very end called "Parents versus Grandparents," mm-hmm. and you know if you know anything about these comedians, once they put it on record, that's them saying I'm not doing this material anymore. Right. So when Bill Cosby, Bill, his best friend, comes out in '78, that's him saying. I'm I'm finished with this. So almost immediately you have to imagine he starts working his new act, which culminates in 81. Right. With Bill Cosby himself, which is, if not the first Bill Cosby album, certainly the first extended Bill Cosby album, where he is positioning himself as husband and father. Right. As part of the act. Right, right. So, you know, again, this whole album is, is you know, him being Bill Cosby. You know, we mentioned it last week. He's shaved. Mm-hmm. He's cut his hair down some. You know, again, 81, after Bill Cosby himself, that's the template for the Cosby show. And I think it's telling that even though he isn't the one kind of issuing, again, these very sort of condescending lessons to the kids about you know how to behave and how to conduct yourself this is the project he's part of mm-hmm. and, and and after this he's moving right into this other moment mm-hmm. and it just it, it, again it it, it I, w- I was still angry I was like you know especially especially sort of in a metatextual way the sheer hypocrisy of the men, in this, the characters in this film that have the nerve to be wagging their fingers, yeah, talking about what you need to do and this that, and the other, and I actually was was yelling at the screen. I was like, "Y'all, blankety blanks, are thieves and criminals! Like, how dare you pass judgment on people and say what they need to do? Y'all are criminals!" Mm-hmm. Which, again, in a very meta way, kind of makes it almost foreshadowing, yeah, for what ends up happening but it's 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 a shame it's a, it, you know I thought it's it's a real wasted opportunity it's such a waste and it's 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 just so
0: bad i mean i'm sitting here now thinking about at the end of this film when Sidney Poitier basically talks himself out of getting killed by these gangsters right um and I'm like, are you serious? The whole time my eyes are in the back of my head as I'm watching this scene. Um, because he, it, it it just makes no sense. It, it, the movie just makes absolutely no sense. You can see him just racing, trying to tie the loose ends up.
1: They come up with this BS reason as to why he gets away with. Well, it's a BS reason, but it's also a reason that we've seen before. And again, to circle back to part of what made Uptown Saturday night so so buoyant and joyful and 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 connected was that it was commentary on these films mm-hmm. that were coming out. You, you know, like one of my you know, my favorite scene almost in Uptown Saturday night where, where, where Richard Pryor plays Sharp Eye Washington, mm-hmm. who was this living embodiment of critique of everything. And then you end with Sidney Portier's character reenacting the end of Superfly. Yeah. That's what happens at the end of Superfly. Right. Priest right. gets away from the police because he has some information on him. And he talks a whole bunch of slick talk and walks away triumphantly.
0: You're right. You're absolutely right. That's right.
1: And so they do the same thing. But it's like six years after... After the power of that would have worked, right? And now we're going to dance, and they dance, and now it's a dance scene. Because you blacks, I, I know you young blacks like to dance. Hit it, uh, and and they and I don't, I don't know. Well,
0: they mostly dance. I don't know what Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby no, are I, doing.
1: Well, you know what well, Bill Cosby's doing is Bill Cosby stuff.
0: Yeah, which. Would have been fine. Yeah. If this was Let's Do It Again or Uptown Saturday Night. Right,
1: right. But he hasn't earned that in this film.
0: And, and that's the problem. He 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 he
1: I didn't like this movie. Yeah, I was very disappointed in this
0: Very film. disappointed in this film. I was very
1: movie. disappointed in this film.
0: And to hear, because I wasn't aware of this, that this was Sidney Poitiers' last acting for 10 years. Yes. So he's now going to devote himself to directing. directing. Yeah. Now he directed Uptown Saturday Night. Yes. You know, we love the movie, but he definitely was learning. Yeah, absolutely. He directed Let's Do It Again. Yes. Better direction. Absolutely. Loved it. He directs a piece of the action. Yes. Yeah, you know, it was okay. I mean, scene to scene, you know, it does all right. So now he is going to do, devote his time to directing. Right, so right. what does he do? Comes after.
1: Right, right. Like like if you are Sidney Portier, Academy Award winning stage trained actor, one of the best actors of your generation and you say I'm not going to use that gift anymore. Right. I'm now going to direct. What did he direct, Glenn? He directs, he
0: goes on to direct in 1980... Stir Crazy. Yes. Starring Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Yes. A movie that a great many people enjoy. I love Stir Crazy. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so I won't speak about it. Okay. He directs in 1982 Hanky Panky. (laughs) Which stars Gene Wilder with uh, Gilda Ratner.
1: Oh, I remember Hanky Panky. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we getting to our movie yet? When, when's it get? To, that's eighty three, right?
0: That's eighty
1: two. Yeah, but I mean, eighty three is our movie, isn't it?
0: No, our movie is nineteen eighty five.
1: All right, we well, keep going. I'm sorry. Nineteen. Well, that's the very next movie. Okay, and what's that?
0: That would be fast forward.
1: <laughs> fast forward. Yes, the dance film. Look at you kids doing stuff in the city. In the city with. Other kids doing stuff. Fast forward. Yes. (laughs) Look for our review. (laughs) Of the Michelle mission. Ironically, I think we like fast forward better than this film. You know, you might be right. (laughs) You might be right. That's Uh, one of my favorite episodes to re-listen to because that's gentle Lynn in that one. Am I? You are. You are. You're gentle Lynn with fast forward. I gotta listen to that. Again. Yes, he ends his directing
0: career, as it were, in 1990. Okay, teaming once again with his friend yes. Bill Cosby, yes, sir, to
1: direct him only, not star with him, in Ghost Dad. Ghost Dad. Now you're saying he ended his directing, but he acted before. Like, like what year is Sneakers? Uh,
0: sneakers is 1992. Is it 92? Yeah. Why did I think Sneakers was like 88? After a piece of the action, he doesn't act again till 1988 to, um, uh, with uh, Shoot to Kill. I thought Sneakers was his first film. I don't even remember Shoot to Kill. No, he did Shoot to Kill with Tom Berenger. Then in 88, he also was, uh, starred a young river phoenix in Little Nikita. Um, and then he would do Sneakers, A Century of uh, Cinema. Right, right, right. Uh, well, well, he would. Uh, that was a documentary. I don't
1: remember either of those films. I really did think Sneakers was his next movie.
0: And then after Sneakers, you know what his next actual true film after Sneakers was? What? In 1996? That's not To Serve With Love too, is that it? That is To Serve With Love too?
1: Oh, Sydney. Oh, Mr. Portier, It's a shame, and it's a waste, and... <clears throat> It is a terrible end note for these films. It is, but it is what it is. It is what it is. I
0: would not recommend that you see a piece of the action, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but because, um, because, like I said, it it's not truly a trilogy,
1: right? The right, Sidney right.
0: Poitier, Bill Cosby movies. So you're not you're not losing anything. Sure,
1: sure. It pains me to say that. But I don't know if I can recommend it either. And and you know, it unfortunate not unfortunately, it's one of those films that I've seen enough that I have this sort of ambient affection for, just because I've seen it so much and 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 I always group it with the other two films. But I think I think you're just kind of watching it with cold, deliberate eyes. There's yeah, there's really no reason to watch this.
0: Nope, we're done
1: so there you go there you go ladies
0: and gentlemen um, next week is Thanksgiving
1: next week is Thanksgiving
0: so we have a very special treat for you next week do we we do we actually uh, will be next week ladies and gentlemen we will have a podcast exclusive Ooh. episode
1: Ooh. as <laughs> Vince <laughs> <laughs>
0: Vince and I recently went back to Brooklyn. Brooklyn the planet. Went back to Butch and Coco's on Howard uh, Howard Street and we sat down with Dorian Missick and Omar Dorsey. Yes, sir. To
1: review (laughs) Dolomite. I can't wait to hear this because I don't even remember this.
0: (laughs) I'm editing it now. It's a piece of work.
1: Boy, you need to get three camis, an Emmy, an Oscar, and a bag of Twizzlers for putting this together. Well, here's the thing.
0: This episode, our review of Dolomite with Dorian Missick and Omar Dorsey will be a podcast exclusive. So w- it will only be available on the as well as all the places that we um, distribute our podcast. It will not be available as a radio show. Okay. For WPPM and WKDU because it's it's it just wouldn't work.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it would either be 5 minutes long. Uh, uh, <laughs> Or it would just sound like a test of the emergency broadcast system. So, so rather than subject the radio audience to that, what we have for the radio audience is another brand new episode of the show Mission. Say what? Because while we were in... Um, New York, Vince and I at Butch and Coco's sat down with comic book professionals Joe Illedge, yes, and Stephen Harris. Yes. And we reviewed Higher Learning. Look at us putting in the work. So if you listen to us on the podcast, you will hear us review Dolomite, and you will also hear us review Higher Learning. If you only listen to us on the radio, Well, you'll only hear Higher Learning because that's the only one that could be made radio friendly. (laughs) It's a fun episode. It's a great episode. It's a really good episode. Yeah, absolutely. But it's the only one that could be radio friendly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Omar plus Dorian plus Dolomite. That's. (laughs) It's explosive! <laughs> show is.
0: <sighs> so look forward to that, ladies and gentlemen, yes, next week yes. here on the Michelle Mission, um, which you can catch on Mission.com as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and any place and every place that podcasts be, including the podglomerate podcast network of curated podcasts, just for you. The show is also available as a radio show on Saturdays at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM here in Philadelphia and Camden People Power Media, PhillyCam.org. Also, you can share and spend your Monday mornings with me show at 9 a.m. on WKDU, the 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. And if you want to email us, you can email us at michowmission at gmail.com. That's micho M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X. Okie doke. I think that's it. He's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet
1: again.